Hey, you damn guys. Welcome to Book Club Member Comics. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Oh, we love this. I'm Ross Radke. Hey, it's Ross. Ross is on the show. Yay, it's Ross. What's going on, Ross? How's it going? Uh, it's going good. I've, I've been really busy, as usual. As usual? You're one of the hardest working men in comics that I know. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, probably so... not true, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danielle could not make it on the episode this week. Uh, she's got an art deadline, and so at the last minute I reached out to Ross for him to come on. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Ross, for filling the spot. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This is our book club podcast. We're reading comics. We're talking to our friends. And I'm going to throw it right back to you, Ross. You're going to tell everybody all about it. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to read a comic. And we're going to have told you what comic we're reading. So you can read the comic too. And we're going to talk about the comic. And we might talk about some of the things that you guys talked about when we talked about the last comic that we talked about. And then (laughs) after we talk about the comic that we're talking about now, you guys are going to send us, uh, hey, you damn guys. You guys still call it that for this podcast, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, uh, uh, give us your feedback, and then they'll talk about it at the next podcast when we're talking about the next thing we're talking about, and that's book club, and that's friendship. Awesome! awesome. Yeah. That was so good. One of the best. One of the best. You've got it down, Ross. You could. You're right in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say after that. It's a lot of words. Word salad. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on for this episode. We've had some good guests. We had uh, Wes Matthijs on for one of our episodes, and now we have you on to help us celebrate our Halloween times. Ha Yes, yes. I was expecting it to start playing in real time. I, I know, right? Later, huh? <laughs> no, you have to wait for the edit for that one. But yes, excellent. Um, you know, so I've been talking about uh, Halloween uh, stuff all this month. And last week, uh, we did our Dracula commentary. I've been watching a lot of horror movies and some TV shows. And so I just wanted to kind of catch people up on some of the stuff that I've been watching. Uh, I also said that I wanted to watch a lot of werewolf stuff, right? So um, yes. I've seen American Werewolf in London. I rewatched that. Um, Love that I saw, movie. I saw Little Red Riding Hood from 2011. That that was not that was not very good. <laughs> Is that the one What's with that? Felicia Day? No, it's got a uh, Amanda Seyfried. Oh, okay, yeah, I know that one. Um, I saw Wolf of Snow Hollow. That one was really good. Werewolf Castle. It was like some medieval kind of like Game of Thrones one, which was pretty cool. Um, That's cool. I watched I watched Ginger Snaps. Have you guys seen that one? I haven't seen any of these. I think the only werewolf movies I've seen are. Um, the original Wolfman, the remake Wolfman, and then um, American Werewolf in London. Yeah, yeah. I did watch the original Wolfman as well, the 1941. That one was really good, actually. I also saw this one called Werewolves Within. That one was really good. That's kind of a newer movie. Um, Werewolf by Night on Disney+. Plus. Have you guys oh, watched yeah. that? Oh, I haven't I watched, watched that yet. It was really good. It was good. I recommend it. I also watched Wolf Cop which was ridiculous. <laughs> and the original, uh, The Howling, that one okay. was really good too. Have you guys seen The Howling? Nice. I think so. And then um, in addition to that, I've also been watching some other Halloween stuff. So I saw Day Shift on Netflix. That was fun. 
um, Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright. I watched that. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that yet. The new Hellraiser on Hulu is really good. Ooh, I want to watch that. I haven't seen it yet. I I just watched the original Hellraiser for the very first time. Oh, Oh, that movie's so good. (laughs) What'd you think of it? The first three are good. Yeah, I don't know. I so I I had a a poll that I did on Twitter because um, of all the classic '80s Halloween horror franchises, I've only ever seen the first one of each, and it seemed like the general consensus is that Nightmare on Elm Street is the most consistently entertaining franchise. So that's what I've been doing is I've been um, watching all of those. So we're oh man we've watched we've watched one through four so far i would love to talk to you about those those are my favorite movies i've seen those movies like a ton of times i love those I have movies they're so I have cheesy on blu-ray i've seen the behind the scenes i've seen all the documentaries so um man we'll have to come back and talk about nightmare on elm street on a later episode i also saw drawing monsters finally have you guys seen it yes. the mignola documentary oh yeah well of course you know we, we talked about it i already watched it so you finally watched it. Yes, I so totally good. counted that as the Halloween movie, I guess, because it was yeah, uh, it was really cool. It was great. That was a lot of fun. I very much enjoyed that documentary. Um, another thing that uh, is streaming right now is Antlers. Oh, I've seen that too. You you saw it? I was really intrigued because Guy Davis was involved with the design of that. Yeah, and it's very evident. It's very evident. Like if especially if you're a fan of his stuff for BPRD, and then you watch that movie. I don't want to like give away what it is, but like it's totally Guy. There's a part where there's like um, creepy little kids drawings, and they look like Guy Davis drawings. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, Ross, what has been your favorite Nightmare on Elm Street so far? You said you saw, you've saw you seen the first four? Yeah, and, and I actually, I think I saw the, the remake one when that came out. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think I'm looking, I, I just pulled it up on my letterbox. I gave the second one my, the highest rating. Really? Uh, really? Yes. Wow. Because I think that would just, that's the one that usually gets a lot of low ratings, but a lot of, it's getting a lot of like, People are coming around to appreciating it more nowadays. Yeah, because I'm coming right. into this with no nostalgia for this yeah. series. And so, like, the first one, still, to me, having only seen it once before in college, is kind of hokey to me. And then, like, the second one kind of took what was working in the first one and kind of refines it, similar to, mm. I would say, like, Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2, where the second one's really okay. kind of just like a, a soft remake. Yeah, um, and they kind of they kind of figure out. Oh, this was funny, so like we'll lean into the humor, lean into some of the the surreal elements to it. Um, right. And I wasn't, I didn't realize that like there's more continuity film to film than I thought there would be. I kind of just thought that Freddy just haunted these random kids. I didn't realize that they actually it was like the same group of kids and the same parents. Right, they follow the oh, yeah. they follow the characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was cool. I'm I'm a big fan of three. I like the dream powers and all that. I mean, I I really love that. Yeah, movie. I felt I have a lot of nostalgia for that one. I felt like um, two, two and three were both kind of a step up from one, just in terms of the filmmakers kind of knowing what to do with the characters, and then and then the fourth one was kind of a step back. I felt, but fairly consistent. I have a uh, I have a special love for number four because it's the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I ever watched. Nice, yeah, yeah. I like that one too. I love the songs too. Yeah, on that one. yeah. There's yeah. one of the songs I recognized, and I didn't know where I recognized it from. I looked it up. DC Metal, uh, yes. a comic. They did like a tie-in album that I actually have on vinyl. Nice. And, wow. and so someone did a cover of the song from Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I can't remember if it was the 
three or four. What is it? It's called Anything, Anything by... Oh, yeah. Drama Rama. Drama Rama, yeah. Anything. Yeah, I love that song. You guys Very used to... Cool. Um, Only Beast used to cover that song like back when they first started. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, we used to cover that song, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good cover song. I've been watching the Scream movies again. I watched... Oh, nice. I watched Scream 1 and 2, and like... I uh, started at three, but then I found True Lies was streaming on um, Hulu, so I've been waiting for that movie to become streaming for like forever. So I stopped everything <laughs> and watched that movie. But um, Scream One is like I think that movie still holds up. It's still pretty good, but like knowing how it ends, you can totally, you know, I mean, those guys. Totally, I mean, you guys have seen Scream, right? Yeah, the first, I, the first one. one. <laughs> have you seen the first Scream? Yeah. Okay, so that first one, like, it holds up like really well, and it's just kind of like when you kind of go back and you know who the killers are, you're like, oh, obviously these two knuckleheads are the fucking killers. Right. Right. Oh, such a That's good funny. movie though. I loved it still. So fucking '90s Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson. Oh man. So I'm looking at my letterbox, and there's a couple other horror movies I just caught up on. Um, we just watched The Witch for the first time. Oh, I liked that one. I saw that one last year. And um, and then also Under the Skin. Oh, I haven't seen... I don't think I've seen that one. Is that the Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. It's... Alien or something like that? Yeah. It's... I don't, I don't really know. A lot of people are going to describe it as kind of like Lynchian sort of, um, mm. which I think is kind of an obvious comparison, but it's interesting. I don't know. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I mean, if you if you like David Lynch stuff, it's not exactly that same type of story, but it's just it's kind of like that. Very very okay. moody, very slow burn. I don't I don't know. We'll we'll have to talk about it after you've seen it if you go watch it because because like Scarlett Johansson being the lead, I'm curious how like if they had cast an unknown actress, how how different it would be. Right. Because yeah. her, okay. her being so well known, it's a little distracting because most of the other right. actors are not professional actors. They're just like people that they found around the town where they filmed it. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Now I really want to see that. But, but yeah. also her being so well known as kind of like a hot Hollywood person kind of feeds into the premise a little bit, too. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, is she's supposed to be like an alien in that film, right? Yeah, yeah, but, that's what I've heard, but I haven't seen uh, it. But like, I'd, I I've mean, already heard that. Yeah, that's ambiguous. The thing, is, the thing I remember the most is like she would take. Damn it! I don't want to say. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. So I, I want to let's come back and I'll, I'll watch it. I will, I will, I will so, say yeah. that like the, the the scenes are really long and quiet and somber and they're like there's like this music that plays that and you just feel it's distressing in a way it's it's really good hmm. yeah I mean, okay it's it's been about 10 years since i've seen it but you know yeah there, there's a there's a s- extended scene with an with a um individual who kind of has a a facial deformity and and that's not mm. prosthetics that's actual actor his actual face but he kind of mm. i don't i don't this is probably not politically correct but he kind of has the same elephant man sort of look and and so it's really interesting knowing that that was that's an actual guy who does a lot of advocacy for people with facial disfigurements and trying oh, to wow you know like hey we're people too and so the way that that character interacts with scarlett johansson in that film is it's I'd say like makes it worth watching. 
just for that alone. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. Awesome recommendations. I love it. I wanted to thank you uh, so much, Ross, for coming on the show. You got your Kickstarter going on right now, yeah. Ross, for the Stomped Anthology. You've already met the goal for your for your Kickstarter. So now yeah, we're congratulations. like, stuff thank like you. that. That's the quickest that you've met your Kickstarter goal? I think so, but I've also, I've raised the goal each time too. That's so, I mean, amazing. That's just is... a testament. How, how you're you're bringing more people on every time i think yeah what there's a there's a book club member who gave a very very generous pledge on day one. Oh shit so they know they know who they are and like <laughs> that that was amazing i was blown away so thank you to them but even even if they hadn't i mean we'd still be doing really well right now um the the goal was six thousand dollars and we're at six thousand two hundred and nice. we need so I guess we're three hundred dollars away from the first stretch goal which means I get to add eight pages to the comic of a of a pinup gallery. Ooh. Oh, you you know I love the special features on a comic. We need yeah, to get and, that. And this comic is too is is like so the last three issues were um forty four to forty eight pages. This one's gonna be. If we hit both stretch goals, it's going to be sixty-eight pages with a fold-out center uh, page. It's <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah. And and so the fold-out's going to be a, um, a size comparison chart with all the kaiju that have appeared in the anthology so far. So oh my god, I love this! I love I, this so much. I That's really cool. want to hit that stretch goal. So um, yeah, if anyone's listening hasn't backed it yet, please check it out. You do not have to be like a hardcore daikaiju fan like this if you if you like monsters if you like sci-fi horror action um i think this comic has a little bit for everybody each story is a little bit different the story that i'm working on right now for issue four that i'm drawing myself is um different than the stuff that i've done in the past it's a lot more personal i'm kind of drawing from some of my experiences working in um i work with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and I have experience, I run a vocational program right now, but at the start of the pandemic, I was working in a residential program. Uh-huh. And so um, working with people with autism and Down syndrome, at the start of the pandemic, we had fires all over the West Coast. So the air was full of smoke. It oh gave me God. a lot of real life stuff to draw from that I'm putting into this comic. So I'm, I'm really nervous about it, but I think people will like it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what people think about it, so. That's incredible. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. And I think it's just an amazing thing that you've done, Ross. I mean, you're getting to wrap up your anthology. I mean, this was your, this was kind of your baby that you put out there and you're like, Oh, hopefully I get to do a next one. And now here we're, we're, we're kind of wrapping it up. And I just Mm -hmm. think that's really cool to see all these ideas kind of come to fruition. Yeah. I feel very fortunate because when I started this project, um, I started it right before I lost my job at Walmart. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect and pretty much like for the most part like things have gone pretty smoothly i've I've had a really good time with all the collaborators i've brought on all the artists who've contributed have been amazing um you know there's a few hiccups along the way i took there's a year break between issues two and three while i was drawing milagro but yeah and that's it's fun to be kind of wrapping up this three-year project and kind of figuring out what what's next but trying not to (laughs) Try not to get too, head of, too far ahead of myself. Take a break. Yeah. You, you take, take a take a well-earned break. But but one thing that I do like about the Kickstarter, so you have your different reward tiers, um, and like uh, like on your past Kickstarters, you can get uh, digital and printed versions of the comics. You can also get the 
previous issues. So if you haven't read the first three stomped issues, there's a package where you could get all four issues and you could be totally caught up. And this is going to be the last time that I print them in this form. I, I'm planning eventually doing like a single volume collection eventually. But yeah, if people want the single issues with all the extra like sketchbook and pinups and things, pages in the back, um, this is this is it. Like I'm going to print a few extra, but I mean, I think I was I was doing the math and I don't think like there's going to be less than 500 copies of each issue. So wow. if you if you like collecting comics, if you like kaiju, um, definitely like this is this. I, I hope you check it out because um, it's been a, a, a great learning experience, a great experience collaborating with people. I really think that like everyone, you know, other people in the same boat as me, like we're not. We're, none of us have quote unquote broken into the industry yet. We're all kind of getting started on our various art careers and um, everyone did a really good job. And I, I'm just really, really proud of how things have come together. So the majority of our rewards are still like commissions and sketches and things like that. So um, it's also a great way. I'm probably not going to do a commission list next year because um, I want to focus on on some other projects. So. Um, yeah, if you want to get a commission for me too, like this is a better way to do it because you get the comic and the commission for probably cheaper what than what I would charge for commissions usually. Great point. Yes. And, yeah. And, and and I want to stress that again. You just said that you're not going to do a commission list next year. So I, yeah, if you want to get maybe your... we'll see. <laughs> but yeah. I've got I've got some projects I need to get going. So you have some other where yeah. you're not going to have as much time for those types of things. So yes, if you want to get one. This is the best way to get one. It's the best value as well. I totally agree with that. And one thing that I like about your Kickstarter, Ross, is once once you find the pledge that you like and that you want to go for, you have the option to add some additional things to your pledge, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So this, um, like you mentioned earlier, you can add extra copies of um, the back issues. And um, I do... Uh, $25 art cards. I don't call them sketch cards because they're a lot more elaborate than a sketch card. They're fully colored um, drawings and you get to pick the character. Um, you can add up to five. And if you do five, you get one for free. And I also have a, um, a limited edition print of one of the characters from Stomped. Um, there's, we have a hundred of them and they're going to be all signed and numbered. Um, so that's another add-on as well. So. Yes, I, I definitely added one of those to my pledge. Those art cards are incredible. I mean, like, yes, uh, they I are. Those, and then I see the ones that you post online, and they're always like, oh my god, the amount of detail and the amount of color that you're able to put on this little card is just like, it's incredible. You always blow me away with those art card commissions. I can't, uh, I, it's hard for me to realize that they're a little card, you know, because they're so hyper-detailed and colorful and so yeah i would definitely recommend that you guys uh, get some of those cards that's a great deal too to get um one free if you get five that's perfect ross i also want to tell you i'm enjoying your webtoon spandex uh, the third oh, yeah. issue came out that's so good it's a lot of fun yeah i'm yeah. I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth in my mind if i want to like I, I i'm having fun with the webtoon and i kind of want to see if i can figure out a way of of simplify my style enough and make the episodes short enough that I could keep up a, like a weekly update schedule or, or maybe bi week like every other week, but we'll see. And then I have some other ideas. There's the, there's the 
stomped graphic novel that I've mentioned many times that I just, I, you know, <laughs> I'd like to get that done at some point. So, yes. but Very I kind of, kind of feel like I, I, it'd be nice to have a palate cleanser in between the anthology and then, and then that project. So sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I will link the Kickstarter in the show notes, and I'll also link Ross's Webtoon, and you can check that out for free on Webtoon. Make sure that you go in and you like uh, and subscribe subscribe to that tune, and then you can also like the individual episodes. And so all that helps our man Ross as well. Excellent. All right, I got some shouts-outs for this week. Shouts-outs. Yes, I want to shout out Matt Strackbine, the letter hack. Matt Strackbine. Book club member. Yes. I don't think we talked about this. Matt made this awesome. We talked about him being the monitor. Who labeled him? It was I think Clayton Schofield labeled Matt as the monitor. After I believe so, yeah. He, he sent in those audio clips explaining all the stuff that he's read for DC. So then Matt did this awesome piece of art with him as the monitor, and then we're all like different Superman and Supergirls. Know, or so Superwomen. good. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about this, but Clayton was in there. Hayden Orr was in there. Um, Wes Matthias was in there. We were all different. We all got to be in the Superman suit. That was so awesome. So thank you so much, Matt. You know, this has been like a really busy and kind of stressful month for me. And I remember when we got that, like, I really needed that that week because I was having like a really rough week and shit wasn't going right. And then like I, I saw that and I was like, ah, oh, I really kind of needed that boost or whatever. It's just it was just a very nice gesture. So thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I like how uh, you're in like the Golden Age Superman costume with the black behind the S and I'm like in the more silver <laughs> age. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is so good. I'm so uh, I'm glad that you noticed that, Aubrey. That you know the differences between all the different <laughs> Superman costumes. I even recognize the the uh, the comic that it's like kind of um, compa- parodying a little bit. There's like a there's an image where like it's like three Superman on the cover and like the multiple Earths drifting off and the monitor right. standing there. Oh, awesome. <laughs> love that! Comic. I have to put a side by side comparison yeah. on for the post this week. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I also wanted to shout out Last Book on the Shelf podcast. The Last with Book Hayden on the Orr. Shelf podcast with Hayden Orr. <laughs> Book club member. <laughs> I'm uh, about halfway through that listening to it. Oh, I, awesome. Yeah, so um, Danielle and I were on that podcast to talk about Twin Peaks Season 1, and it was so much fun. We had a, we had a blast with those guys. It was fun listening to that Um it was also kind of fun to listen to one of the guys, like he started watching The Return and not That's the first crazy. season. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Oh my, uh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't that, believe it. But the, the, the show is incomprehensible even if you've watched everything in order. Right. <laughs> to add to your little discussion on Twin Peaks, my first time I ever saw any Twin Peaks was when I went and saw the movie Fire Walk with me in the theater with my sister. She was a fan of the show and nobody would go see it. I said, I'll go see it with you. And I walk out of that theater. I'm like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) I know, right? That's a weird way to go in, too. The movie kind of spoils the original show. Yeah. It was advertised as a prequel. So I was like, oh, it don't matter. (laughs) You wouldn't know if you hadn't watched the show. but Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I walked out of there and I was just like, that's what that show's about. (laughs) <laughs> John, I assume you've you've watched all of the um I forget what they call it, but the deleted scenes. The missing pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen all that stuff. I've seen everything. It's the not to go on a huge long tangent, but like there's there's stuff that happens in the return 
that references things that only occur in those missing pieces. Yeah. So like if you hadn't watched this basically a special feature, you'd be missing certain characters and plot elements. Right. So like, right. I think when they were making it, when they were making the return, they were, they re-released Firewalk with me with the missing pieces, like as a, like on the disc also, which people had been wanting forever. And basically, if you haven't seen it, the missing pieces is almost like a whole other movie. It's like a deleted scenes worth of a whole other movie for Firewalk. Mm -hmm. with I gotta me. see that. It's really interesting. And yeah, you're right. They do reference some of that stuff. So even though it's technically like deleted scenes, it does seem like now it's been canonized or something like that because they do reference some of those ideas but anyway yes and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback listener feedback feedback get out trades and floppies get out hardback copies digital is fine read along in time get out we had a hey you damn guys from luke aldred Luke Aldred, book club member. He said, hey, you damn guys, I don't really do horror films, not the gratuitously bloody ones. I'm with Danielle on that scene. But creepy, spooky, psychological, melodramatic, or just plain bonkers can be fun. So here's my list in no particular order, apart from the very best werewolf movie, which is the American Werewolf in London. And I did watch that one. He said classical, practical effects, humor, and excellent soundtrack. The transformation to Blue Moon is an amazing juxtaposition. I totally agree. That's an amazing scene. Oh, that scene um, is great. He also said, A Company of Wolves, not really a horror film, but a sinister deconstruction of Red Riding Hood, donning sexuality and adults' dire warnings about straying from the path and dallying with handsome strangers. Have you seen that, Company of Wolves? It sounds familiar. I have not seen not. it. He also said, The Devil Rides Out, Satanist sacrifices and Christopher Lee in one of his few or only heroic roles. Interesting. I'll have to check that one out. He said the Wicker Man, the original, not the Nicolas Cage travesty. Uh, there's no better folk horror and another Christopher Lee masterclass. Have you guys seen either of those? Christopher I have not Lee seen movies? either one of them. I've seen the original Wicker Man. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> he also said uh, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness double feature. Bill. God, I want to rewatch those. Yeah. Um, for their Tom and Jerry style slapstick horror. On the Evil Dead and the Army of Darkness, I would recommend like Ash versus the Evil Dead, the show that continued on the on the Stars Network. Oh, okay. It's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. He also said Wolfen, an intelligent creature feature and a comment on the social injustices of the time. A pack of intelligent wolves hunting in eighties New York, preying on the homeless and destitute. Cool. I haven't seen that one. And then he said the car, demonically possessed, blacked out car wreaks havoc on a desert town speaking of which the omen gregory peck I, I i have seen the original omen he also mentioned Shaun of the dead because i don't do zombie movies unless there's jokes to relieve the tension i love, Shaun, I love of the dead. Shaun of the dead he also mentions the 1958 dracula with christopher lee and peter cushing say no more and finally for a little mignola-esque claustrophobic psychodrama with tentacles the lighthouse I haven't seen The Lighthouse yet. I want to see, see that, that movie. You haven't seen that one yet? No, no, I haven't. I really like that artwork that you did for The Lighthouse, Ross. That was like pretty cool. Yeah, that was a, that was one of the stranger commissions I've done. Um, that movie is wild. <laughs> oh, like, man. I make a good double feature with something like Darren Aronofsky's Pie or, or like Eraserhead or something like that. Oh, nice. Okay. okay. Nice. 
he said uh so there you go apologies if the links don't work so he put links for his favorite scenes of all those hope you find time to check out a couple of the unfamiliar ones thanks for everything you do i loved our encounters with evil episode plenty of laugh out loud moments in the car home from work and then he also sent a ps to his recommendations both the devil rides out and the wicker man are films of their time in that non-christian or pagan beliefs are viewed as evil and the hero represents order or conservative value doesn't make them less enjoyable just remember they're from a less enlightened and more black and white era cheers luke yeah thank you for thank that you. that's definitely that's definitely prevalent in a lot of those old school movies yeah um we also had some more feedback on our encounters with evil you want to read these aubrey we heard from uh jerry turnbull jerry turnbull book club member uh jerry said a wonderful collection of stories it's bursting with ideas full of horror action humor and pathos all told beautifully by warwick siegfried the vampire hunter hunter is such a brilliant character the town of uh, Mel Aviv is in his story is a nod to Maria Ospenkaya's character in the 1941 film, The Wolfman. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't realize that I just watched it recently and I noticed that the lady um, is named Maleva and that was the town for the Siegfried story. Good job there, Jerry. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, we also heard from Niklas. Niklas! Book club member. This was fun. I miss you guys talking about comic books to your friends. I miss you so much. I'm back. Yay! Oh, Niklas welcome back. is back. Awesome. Yeah, Niklas, I hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, it's good to have you back, Niklas. Uh, We also heard from Sonic Blue, Sonic Blue. Sonic Blue, Sonic Blue. Book club member. WJC has been my favorite comic artist for a few years. All his work is rancid. <laughs> rancid i haven't heard that as like is that like sick is that what the kids say now or something like that i'm gonna say sure <laughs> i'm almost 50 what am i what do i know what kids say these days <laughs> we also heard from clayton schofield clayton schofield book club member how could i not listen to this today wanted to open the book and follow along too but i decided to wait until the library edition comes out next month for my reread so many times i fought myself from reaching for the book on the shelf yes yes the library edition does come out and hey clayton you might enjoy this we're um we're planning to come back for the library edition to do the to do the third part hopefully so maybe um, when you when the library edition comes, you might have two episodes to listen to there. Good. Excellent. We also heard from you, Ross. You gave us some feedback. Did I? Ross Radke. <laughs> Book club member. <laughs> you said not a werewolf or wolfman, but you should definitely add cat people from 1982 to your watch list this year. It's very dumb and horny and a great Giorgio Moroder film score. And of course, one of the all time greatest David Bowie song. Yes, I totally agree with that. I love that David Bowie song. That Bowie song um, I've never seen that. I've never seen 1982 Cat People. It, it's funny. I mean, it, it, I don't know what else to say about it. About, it was about a, a chick who like turns into a cat and has sex with a dude. It kind of goes along with the wolf theme, though. I do like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll totally get into that one. I, I need to find out if it's on streaming or something. I, I feel like there is like, like I don't know. It was it was one of those really weird ones that <laughs> I'm not even quite sure I, I understood what was going on half the time because it was just like cut to these weird like dream sequences of cat people. I, I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be <laughs> like from an alternate dimension or like ancient. I don't know. It was very bizarre. Oh, wow. This sounds great. Man, all these recommendations are really good. I'm going to have to check some of these out. Awesome. I thought of another one that's kind of random, but I think is definitely appropriate to to the audience. Um, has anyone seen the live-action Pinocchio, the Italian one? I have not no. seen that. I'm 
trying to find what you, cause I know there's been a couple different ones. I think this one was 2019. Yeah. 2019 directed by Matteo Garone. And it's all done with like prosthetic makeup and it's super creepy. It, fo- it follows the original book. It doesn't follow like the Disney version. Oh wow! Okay. Okay. It's re- it's really bizarre. If you've ever, I don't know if you, have you guys ever read the original book. I have not. No, I know enough of it though, but I know that there's some weird shit in there, right? Yeah, because they reference it a lot in the Hellboy comics, and so it's definitely worth checking out. Nice. Excellent. Nice. It's kind of reminds me of like halfway between Del Toro's like Pan's Labyrinth and then like something like the Labyrinth. Oh, okay. okay, cool. Oh, and hey, we also heard from Warwick Johnson Cadwell. Warwick Johnson Cadwell. Oh my God. Club member? Yeah, and amazing artist, writer, creator. He said, I love these guys. Thanks for the very enthusiastic and thorough review. I'm so happy to hear you enjoyed it. Also, Lord Ruthven is the main character from Polidori's The Vampire, though he wasn't married in that, so Lady Ruthven might be his mom, sister, or later wife. So that was awesome. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you. For that Thank right you. I love finding out those little details and references to other horror movies and stuff like that. Yeah. So, excellent. Thanks so much for the feedback. It's so cool when we get to like hear from one of the creators, right? Oh my god! When I saw that pop up the other day, I was just like, uh, I was just like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, that felt great. Thank you so much. And um, we have some additional feedback, but I'm going to save it because I want to have Danielle here when we go to some of that feedback because it's about some of the stuff that she was talking about. Um, we'll save that for next week. I actually do have a listener feedback on our Silver Surfer, one of our Silver Surfer episodes. Oh yeah, go ahead. Which one? It's when we're talking about the planet. The planet Euphoria or something like Euphoria, that? Euphoria, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we heard from uh, Janelle Loveless. Janelle Loveless. Book club member. And uh, my sister-in-law. But also, uh, she was saying that uh, she was listening to our episode and she... Whether or not we, you know how we were talking about we'd want to stay on the planet Euphoria or not. Yeah. Yeah. She said that uh, considering the state of the world is right now, she would definitely take Euphoria over here. I'm sure. No, I would totally do that right now. <laughs> That's yeah. Just go chill out there for a couple years, come back and see what it's like, and then maybe go back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Janelle. Good to hear from you again. All right. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. And this week, we're talking about Old Haunts. I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. This is a five-issue miniseries by AWA Comics that was published from February to June 2021. Written by Ollie Masters and Rob Williams. Art by Lawrence Campbell. Colors by Lee Lowridge. And letters by Sal Cipriano. So Ollie Masters, I'd never read his stuff before. He's a writer who's known for Vertigo's The Kitchen, which was made into a movie. And also a Boom Studios book called Snowblind, amongst other works. We've discussed Rob Williams and Lawrence Campbell at length on the Hellboy Book Club on our other show. So check that out. I'll put a link to the show notes because we also did an awesome interview with both of them for one of their Hellboy titles. So that was a lot of fun. So I already love I love these guys already, right? Oh man, that was so much fun having them on the show. I was so geeking out that time. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we can do another one with for this book. Lee Lowridge is an artist and colorist who's worked on Batman Adventures, Marvel Zombies Return, and The Mask. And I think the, the version of The Mask that he worked on is the new one that has Patrick Reynolds on pencils or on the art, who has done some Hellboy stuff as well. And Sal Cipriano is a freelance comic book letterer and action figure reviewer. He goes by at Ultrazilla on social media, and he talks about 
action figures and stuff like that amongst like lettering comics. So I thought that was pretty cool too. I'll link it in the show notes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I do want to give a little bit of a content warning because this book does deal with like abuse and stuff like that. And like, obviously we know we're going to be getting into some creepy stuff and we're fine with that. And we know that there might be like murders or people dying and we're fine with that. But like abuse is one of those things that's kind of like, uh, do I really want to like, if you, you have to be in kind of the right mood. So I just wanted to give that content warning out there for that. We're looking at the trade here immediately when this book was announced with the Lawrence Campbell artwork, I was like, I, I got to get this and check it out, you know, just to see oh. other stuff that he's doing. Man, the artwork in this is stellar. I fucking love Lawrence Campbell and his work in this is just top notch, but I just want to also add Lee Lowridge. Their their coloring is fantastic in this. It is just like every page is like it's glowing and just like right. you know, it just feels like it's like nighttime and darkness. And I, I was just like in awe just staring at this book when I was reading it this week. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Really good, really good. And this uh, this cover art is amazing for issue one. You know, it immediately kind of draws you in of like what's going on here. You know, you feel like there's going to be some supernatural element uh, to this comic. So this opening scene is pretty interesting. And so it's kind of like I mean, one of the things that I like about this comic is it just throws you in the middle of what's happening. And you kind of but it works like you get enough information to know what's going on so you you get this scene and i mean they're obviously looking at someone that they're burying right or they're looking down at a body or something yeah well and and literally the the viewer you're you're the body in the grave right right looking up out of the grave it it, it already gives you like a creepy feeling you know immediately like just going into the first page they're about to start putting dirt on the body and one of the guys says wait and then they take out these coins now, I noticed it was a nickel and dime, and they have X's carved into them, right? And so nickel and dime, it made me think of uh, the term nickel and dime. It's used two common ways, um, one as an adjective meaning cheap or petty, and then as a verb like to be nickeled and dimed, which means to be like have money taken from you over small amounts over like a long period of time. Um, yeah. but I thought that was interesting too, that it's a nickel and dime, but it also goes along with this idea that you would have put coins over the eyes. Like when people die, like that's a tradition on its own too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so you can pay the ferryman when you cross to cross the river sticks in hell. That was the most common reason. But I also read like one of the reasons was so that way the eyes wouldn't go open. Like it was a way to keep the eyelids shut. Also. I heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I like how there's kind of two different meanings in this. You know, it's got the symbolic gesture of commonly associated with death, but then it's also the fact that it's a nickel and dime, I think is just like interesting considering like these guys are gangsters, right? Yeah. When they put the nickel and dime over, then it blacks out. Like there's just one panel where it's just totally black, but then it slowly like creates this image of you see the skyline of the building. So I just like that transition. It's all very dreamy and weird. We see this restaurant or this club, it's called Mann's. And so it made me think of Michael Mann, um, the American (laughs) director, screenwriter and producer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, one of his most acclaimed works is the movie Heat from 1995, which deals Ooh. with like mobsters. He's also done like Public Enemies, which is another kind of gangster movie. So I love Heat. I felt like that was a deliberate homage to him, right? Oh, yeah, totally. We meet two of our main guys here. Their names are Primo and Alex. Primo is the big guy. Alex is the guy with the beard. 
they are soon joined by a third guy, Donnie. And we're just thrown into this relationship. Like, we get the sense that these guys know each other. Primo mentions Alex getting what he wants. And he says he hasn't gotten it yet. We learn that they go way back and have been working together for a long time. But there seems like there's some resentment towards Donnie. Alex greets him with open arms. But Primo says, why the fuck did you even come here? You could have signed the papers from where the fuck ever and saved a scene your prick face. You didn't want the life no more, but you're happy to come crawling back when there's money on the table. And so they're like, oh, let's not do this, guys, or whatever, right? So there's already, like... Tension. I just thought that scene was interesting because you're just thrown in the middle of, like, kind of what's going on. Was that a little jarring for you guys for a second? You're like, wait a minute, what's happening? I've seen a lot of, like, gangster-type films, so I just felt like I just fallen into that, you know? Yeah, there's... I mean, if you've you've watched Goodfellas and The Godfather, I think you have enough context to to pick up on what's, you know... The basic idea of what's going on here. They step outside and Primo confronts this drunk FBI agent. I guess she's staking them out or something. He calls her Perez. I, I actually thought that this might be a mistake. And I, and I, so I had to, cause I have the single issues and I have the trade because her name is Lopez, but I guess he calls her Perez. To, I, I guess maybe that's a way of showing that he doesn't even really know who she is. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was like, like he knows who she is because she's been like stacking them for a while, but she, he just intentionally calls her Perez to keep her like off her guard or something like that. You know, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like I said, maybe it's an intentional dig. Yeah. At the, at the end, it's consistent where like she was way more invested in what they were up to and they were just like, I don't even know why she's so sure it goes along with that idea too yeah so we're back with our trio i love the pacing of this right i mean you see the ground and then you see the water splashing on the ground and then it cuts to alex is pouring out you know he's like pouring out for his homies or something like that right yeah (laughs) alex pours out the bottle he says this one's for you garcia alex asks primo if he feels bad about how things went down after everything they went through And Primo says he doesn't feel bad. He did what he did and he got what was coming, he says. So they they keep going out to this field. And I guess we'll talk about this. I mean, it's obviously like away from the city, right? Because we don't see any buildings. It's just kind of like the stars in the background. Yeah. It reminds me of like some of the um, BPRD Hell on Earth and End of Days. Some of the stuff that Lawrence Campbell did there, you had these like star fields in the background and stuff like that. You know, these big skies. And I really like that. Kind of reminded me of some of those shots. There's a way that these guys talk that really makes me believe their whole storied history. You know, the way that they talk and the way that they argue. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. From their conversation slash argument, we learn that Donnie obviously has gone clean. He talks about going back home and to his family. Um, Alex wants to go clean, so Primo has to give up his rounds, his club, and his card games. Alex tries to convince Primo by saying it's more money than you could ever imagine, and it's everything he ever wanted. Everything you ever wanted. You never fucking asked me, Primo responds. Alex says, we gotta put this shit behind us. He asks Primo, in our world, whoever gets to retire out. So there's like a nice beat. I love the pacing of this. You know, there's a nice beat where Primo thinks about it. And then he's like, ah, fuck. We did pretty good out of this town, didn't we? Better than the poor bastards we dragged out here, Donnie says. And so, like, as we pull back, we definitely see now that they're far beyond the city. 
And then there's this reveal here that is so good. It's so creepy as well. Yeah, the the, the way it kind of like pulls back and then you see like the skeleton with the coins in its eyes. And then you drop down to the final panel and it's all of these skeletons with coins in their eyes. Right. They're just like yeah. all buried on there on top of each other. Lawrence Campbell is really good at like I really like when he leans into something that I don't know how else to put it other than like it's more designy. His style has a level of photorealism, but then you you kind of it breaks down and then like on the next page that the spread it becomes very graphic graphic in yeah in the in the sense that it's not so literal a depiction of a thing. I love that. That's a great way of describing that. I also noticed that if you like zoom in, I'm here. I'm looking at the trade on the on the comicsology. It's the nickel and dime. So the first skeleton they show is that nickel and dime skeleton from the opening shot or whatever. Or maybe they do that to all of them. No, I mean, that's what I gathered that they did it to all of them because when you see, like, they they all have, like, a shining gleam in their eyes on that bottom panel. Something happens. So what happens here? What what was your interpretation of this the first time you saw it? Like, now that I've read the whole thing, I kind of get it. But it's very, it's it's a very abstract thing that happens, right? Or is it? (laughs) It's it's like the combined sorrow and evil and anger and murder of everything of those guys, victims, kind of pulled together and came out as some walking two-legged bird. I guess birds only have two legs. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, a, like a bipedal with arms well, and shit. Or a human <laughs> with a bird head skeleton thing. With the coins in its eyes. In the trade, in the special features, they call it the vulture. Ah, the way that it's depicted is like these red lines traveling up out of the ground from where all the skeletons are. And I just think that's like, it's so cool. It's just like the first time that I saw this, I was blown away by this image. And I was just like so intrigued for what this meant for the rest of the story. The red lines are a recurring motif, visual motif as well throughout the entire you know series. Yeah. Nice. Yes. We'll have to continue pointing those out. Excellent. I wonder how that page would hit someone who wasn't familiar with Lawrence Campbell's work with BPRD. Like if if you pick this off the stands and you're like, oh, it's a gangster comic. And then you turn the page and get that. Right. um, (laughs) Like, I feel like we've been conditioned to, to kind of expect something along those lines in a way. Right. But like looking at it again, it's kind of like that's, super bizarre if you weren't <laughs> no, you know expecting something like that exactly yeah yeah no i love that and i didn't really like i mean i guess i figured that there was going to be some supernatural element but i didn't really know what i came into this like it was a pretty grounded story and so for me that reveal was kind of like oh wow there is going to be some weird stuff in this book which i like we get these really cool one-shot pages i love these next three pages because it's like shots of their individual lives these three characters so we see primo he lives alone with hardly any furniture but he's got like this really nice place it's all like glass all outside but all he's got on there is his drink a table and like a heavy boxing bag and as he's looking out onto the city he's like everything i want Yeah, thanks, Alex. So I I thought it was interesting in the special features on the trade, they talk about how this is meant to be like, even if he was poor in a garage, like this is what it would be. Like his setup would just be this. Like he doesn't really need this whole fancy home. All he really needs is like that heavy boxing bag, a glass to drink out of and a table. And that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Over with Alex. He's getting all dressed up to go out with his wife. They seem to have a fancy home. Alex references not wanting to be like his dad and how he feels like he can't escape him. His wife says, you're not your father, Alex. He could never have done what you've done. And so they embrace and they're like, and she's like, I love you. So this is kind of a, a, a dumb observation because I, I do all my digital art in, um, you know, drawing and coloring in Procreate. I think Lee Lowridge colored this in Procreate because the wallpaper, I think that's a default brush setting. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and there's other textures and stuff that he uses in like the glowy effects and things that it's like, it, it's, it's a little distracting because I'm, I'm always thinking about like, how did they do that? And there's right. certain things that he does in here that I've done before. I, I, I'd be curious to know what his, what, what he uses to color because it's got a very distinctive look. But yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll just point it out this one time. But there, but there's a few times in this book where I saw something and I'm like, I think I've used that. Right. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Like, there's some texture on something in the background. Yeah. That is so cool. Like you're trying to enjoy the comic, but you're you're just seeing like the Matrix, right? <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. When he's like, I don't even see the art anymore. I just see textures and brushes and <laughs> redhead. I, I don't even see the code. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. That's just, that's just, it's just like, um, you know, I went to film school and like once you've watched every behind the scenes for all your favorite movies, it's hard to watch those again. Yeah. Kind of the same. Over with Donnie, we see this guy, he's paying for a sex worker and we see him leaving the hotel. As he leaves the hotel, he hears, hey, fuck face. <laughs> I, lo I love the language in this. Oh, um, yeah. There's a lot of fucks. There's a lot of F-bombs in this just because they're all gangsters. We reveal Alex is hanging out the window of this car. He's screaming about how they'll be rich. And um, we can tell that he's drunk because there's a nice little detail where the word balloon is kind of like wiggly. Oh, yeah, that is nice. Um, Donnie's like, what the fuck, Primo? He's wasted. So, like, they're going out for their last job and this guy's all drunk, right? I guess, like, this is what it's all been leading up to. All the hard work, it was for this night, Alex says. Yeah, Alex, you did good, Donnie responds. I love this bottom shot of them driving, this fifth panel on the page. Um, oh, just yeah. The, again, the color you were talking about, Aubrey, yeah. Yeah, you did good, Donnie says. Did I? All the awful shit we did, Alex asks. And there's this page, right? So it's like a we get this awesome double page splash as Alex is thinking about this. It's all kind of like purple, and we're also getting that sound effect, right? That wump, wump. I guess, like, are those the, what is that? I, I imagine it was like, like, you know how, like, when you're driving down the road at night or sometimes, like, the tires are hitting those, like, separations in the asphalt. Yeah. See, I was saying, my, my interpretation was that he's kind of having, like, a, a phantom sound of someone who was, like, they stuck in the trunk of the car. Oh. Oh, kind of like a Edgar Allan Poe, Telltale Heart kind of thing. Like, yeah, like, like someone that they're taking out. Like, like they show later where they take him out to this hill and kill them. Right. So it's like he's hearing someone like banging on the inside of the trunk. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that was one of my thoughts. That's so interesting. We all have different interpretations because I thought it was the wings flapping of the bird. I thought the bird's coming and he's hearing the the sound of the wings flapping. But I don't know. I like your just I like your, both of your interpretations better. I don't know. Or maybe. I don't know. 
or or maybe it's the sound of those separations in the road and then it turns into someone banging on the car or something like that you know what i mean but the bird i mean the bird crashing into the windshield is the first thing on the next page so that's a fair yeah that's why i thought it was that because it kind of leads into that but there's some awesome pacing as it as we lead up to it because we see alex sitting in the back and then there's one panel where there's a skeleton next to him i love that like one weird shot right there like something creepy is happening you notice how the bird has the coins in its eyes yes yeah so if we look closely um it looks like some sort of like goose or something but yes it's all black and it has the coins in its eyes as it crashes through driving next to 18 wheelers is one of those things that's like it always kind of freaks us out a little bit you know what i mean there's a lot of 18 wheelers on i-10 oh Uh, man there uh yesterday there was a 60 car pileup on i5 between where i live and eugene oh shit Um, oh my god i haven't checked the news today but but um one of my coworkers commutes from eugene and um the accident had already happened in the morning she was still able to to get past it because it was in the opposite lanes Mm. Um, but she said there's like cars flipped over and everything. And then when she tried to go back, they still hadn't cleared it off. So she had to drive all the way back into town and take another road. Fuck. And wow. I guess there was only one fatality, but they said that they said it involved, um, 20 semi trucks and like 45 passenger vehicles, something like that. That's fucking Jesus. Absolutely <laughs> insane. I guess, I guess it's because like the haze and stuff, I guess, out on I-5 was really bad. Dang. That, yeah, this kind of stuff terrifies me, getting into an accident with an 18-wheeler. Yeah. Um, fortunately, they survived. The 18-wheeler guy survives. But then Primo's also about to get into a fight with this guy uh, that's driving the 18-wheeler. <laughs> And Donnie's trying to break it up. But while all this is happening, Alex is having some visions, man, right? He sees the vulture. One thing I thought it was interesting, because I did the reread on the trade, they don't have the covers separating the issues. Mm -hmm. So it just goes straight into it. And I thought, like, it flows really well as a trade. Like, you you almost forget. I had to go back and check the individual issues to find out where the chapter separations are. So opening up this issue two, we get a flashback. I love these flashbacks and I love how they're the color or the lack of it, right? In these flashbacks is, I I think it really lends like uh, this real moody cinematic quality to it. Yeah. You know, in that first issue, Alex was asking Primo about, did he feel bad about what happened with Garcia? And he's like, no, that guy had it coming to him. He did what he did. Right. So now here we're getting to see what happened with this guy, Garcia. And he was like one of their friends. Right. It seems like he had a good relationship with Primo and he's like getting super drunk. And then he's like, fuck it. Let's get it done. Primo takes him out and puts him in the car. And then as they're driving out, Garcia's crying. And he's like, I didn't talk, Primo. You got to believe me. But why it's got to be you. How come it's always you they sent? So he's taking him out to kill him. Right. And he's like one yeah. of their friends, too. So those scenes are always there's always a scene like that in one of those gangster movies. Right. This scene, too, when we get to the end and, and we find out more detail, like it's sad that this guy, he's not even protesting that much. It's like, like he's like, maybe I did talk and I didn't realize it. It's, just, right. it's, it's sad that he's about to get murdered for something that we find out later. He didn't. He, it wasn't even him. But he's right. not even arguing because he just knows. It's like he knows that no matter what he says, it's not going to matter. It's like he 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 thinks of himself as a screw up. So he know he knows that he must have screwed up somehow. Right. Right. 
Primo takes him out there. Garcia says, I never come out here. Lived in the city all my life, and I never come out here. Looking down at us. He looks at the sky, and he sees all the stars, and those shots are incredible. I was Man, just like, amazing. wow. You know, the, the backgrounds there are amazing. He turns back to look at Primo, and he says, do it clean, huh? And he's got a tear coming out of his eye. And then we cut over to this next page, right? So we have these next two pages I think are really interesting. It, it's kind of like that same effect where we saw those red lines coming out of the ground, right? Except now it's red lines on the grid of the, the electrical grid of the whole city, I guess, or something like that, right? Uh, I would say it was more like just like the streetlights, you know, like what you'd see the city from like above. Right, right. Yeah. But it and almost then, looks like that red is kind of passing through it or encompassing oh, yeah. it or something, right? It gets brighter and darker red as it gets in the bottom panel. It's just all red lines and it just looks like prison bars with blood on them. Right. Yeah. I love all those weird kind of transitions. And we get a shot of the vulture also coming down into the city. Over at the bar, the trio have regrouped. Donnie is pretty freaked out about the car accident. And Alex is out of it. And he says he has to go puke. Donnie tells Primo, if this Myrick guy thinks we're fucking him or setting him up, we've got to deal with this. Donnie hands Primo Alex's phone to call the guy. And they kind of get into a fight over who needs to make the call. So it's kind of like we get the sense here again, there's so much storytelling just with the dialogue, but we get the sense here that like, you know, Primo's like, I'm all you're always telling me what to do. And Donnie's like, this isn't my life anymore. So you have to do it. So Primo finally does call him and he he tells the dude they crashed their car and they have to reschedule over with the FBI agent Lopez. She's vomiting in the stall, I guess. And then after that, she drinks some more immediately afterwards, I guess, to wash the taste out. Or what is that, right? That's what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she probably threw up all the liquor she drank. She's got to refill. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you're having problems like that, please seek help. Yes, yes. It's pretty, her her alcoholism is depicted pretty intense in, in this book. Um, Lopez gets a call from an informant named Lenny. That sounds like a great gangster name, right? Like that's like a, a weasel guy or whatever, Lenny. <laughs> It kind of is. <laughs> Apologies to any Lennies. <laughs> Apologies to any Lennies. We love you. We love all the Lennies. Uh, so this guy, Lenny, the informant, he knows all about the car accident and the deal getting rescheduled. He tells Lopez, Myrick is getting nervous and he's getting close to just fucking slitting their throats before they get close to his. So uh, we see Lopez. She examines her evidence board. So I actually looked this up on Wikipedia. I was like, what is that called? So I just typed in like detective wall and there's like a whole Wikipedia on evidence board, also known as conspiracy board, crazy wall or murder map. (laughs) It's a common background feature in thriller and detective fiction movies and TV. It features a collage of media from different sources pinned to a pin board or stuck to a wall and frequently interconnected with a string to mark connections. Um, a more technical name for these sorts of visualizations and charts within actual law enforcement are called Anacapa charts, and they're used for social network analysis. When I was in high school, I used to just tape all of the drawings that I did in, in my bedroom walls until the point where it was just you couldn't see the wall anymore or the ceiling. Oh, nice. That's cool. <laughs> it was a lot of work to take that all down when I went off to college. <laughs> Was it that looked, your, but yeah, it looked like a crazy person room, definitely. Yeah, was that your conspiracy board? It was just like, yeah, I don't know. It was like I, I do all these doodles, and it's like, what do I do with my doodles? Like, put them in a box in our filing cabinet? I don't know. 
Just right. take them to the wall. That's cool. Do you have a picture of that anywhere? I doubt it. Man, you should have taken a picture of that before you took it down. <laughs> On her evidence board, it, I like how there's different pictures pointed out. So we see Alex, Primo, Donnie, Garcia, and then we see a picture of Lopez and her partner, the one who was referenced earlier, right? Because they were like, oh, I don't even think we talked about that. There was a comment earlier where Primo oh, was yeah. like, um, what did he say? Says something like, go, say, go tell your partner if you can find her or something like right, that. Right, something like that, right. So... That was kind of referenced earlier that um, her partner's missing. So she looks at the picture of her and her partner, and then she says, fuck it. And then she starts typing a text to Myrick. We need to talk, she says. So much storytelling on this page, even though there's one word bubble that just says fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, it's all conveyed through the art and the text and everything. And I just think that's really amazing. Oh, totally agree. So we meet Myrick. I love this guy. He's got the top knot, right? Well, I'll say the, the the chair that he's sitting in is like there's this Vox video that's all about that chair. It like appears in so many different things, like album covers and magazines and everything. It's it's an interesting video. You should check it out. Oh, nice! Send me called. that. I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Myrick is meeting with Lopez, and he's talking about help helping the FBI. There's some really good dialogue here because she's she calls him a low level, and then he's like, "Oh, low level is that your way of justifying working with a criminal?" You know, and all this kind of stuff. So there's some nice back and forth in the dialogue between Lopez and Myrick. Basically, Lopez wants to get the guys on tape admitting to a felony. Basically, like, they're trying to get out of the business and they're going to give it to this guy. So basically, what Lopez is saying is, like, you won't have to pay for it. Just admit, get them to admit to it. We'll arrest them and then you'll get this shit anyway. Right? So it's it's also kind of shady and underhanded what she's doing, too. Right? She just wants to get them at all costs. Yeah. We cut over to the trio and we learn that Primo has an enlarged prostate and has to pee. Do you like that <laughs> detail? <laughs> <laughs> Alex is still out of it in the back seat and they drive to where they're supposed to make their deal. There's this whole scene where they get to the place. It's called Waits and Son Coffee Roasters. I thought maybe if that would be a reference to Tom Waits. We just talked about Tom Waits last week on our Dracula commentary. They get searched, and then, so they get led to this room, and then there's this big, huge, tattooed guy. Um, so I, I love this scene, and I, I love, this guy looks like an actor that I've seen before, but I couldn't think of what I've seen him in. I was going to try and Google this, but anyway, there's, maybe somebody will will know who I'm talking about. The the big guy? Yeah, there's a there's a big guy. There's this dude, he's in a lot of, like, I want to say he's in a lot of action movies from the 80s and 90s and he's got like a face like this guy and he's just like a big dude that would be in a lot of action movies and stuff like that they're like uh where the fuck is myrick and he's like he says i should talk to you first see what's what after you canceled the meeting and they're like this is bullshit this is meant to be happening today yeah well not unless i say so the big guy says primo's like alex get your fucking head in the and then he hears a voice hey primo and he's like garcia so he hears this dead guy, this guy that we saw the flashback he had to kill, kind of talking to him. And the big guy's like, are you all right, old timer? Primo's like, the fuck? You hear that? Do it clean, huh? Okay, I don't know what the fuck is going on here, but we're done, the big guy says. We get this amazing double splash page. So it's going back and forth between Primo, he's looking at the big guy, but he's also seeing Garcia. There's some amazing horror shots, too. Like, we see Garcia as a half and half. He's the skull with the coin in his eye and then also the human form. 
And then there's like a bloodied version of the human form. I guess when he shot him in the head, like that might have been what he looked like. Primo is seeing Garcia as he's looking at the big guy. And the big guy is getting pissed off. He's like, what the fuck are you looking at? You don't stop looking at me like that. I'm going to cave your geriatric fucking skull in. And when he says that, Primo just attacks the dude. And we get these like brilliant red panels as he like fucking gouges the dude's eyes out and shit. It's fucking hardcore. <laughs> as we turn the next page, we see that he totally just like murdered this guy, right? I mean, it's pretty yeah, brutal. He bashed his skull in. <laughs> blood everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fucked up. That ends uh, the second issue. Um, but I like how, you know, first it was, we, we kind of get a sense of what's happening here. First it was Alex seeing some weird, the vulture, and now Primo is seeing things too. We open up issue three and we get another flashback. We get a flashback to Alex's upbringing and it's pretty fucked up. There's so much storytelling in these three pages. Like, I, I love where this flashback is put in the story because we already know so much about these characters and their connections. And like, it's just very to the point. Ale it looks like Alex is getting abused by somebody towering over him. Then we see him and two other boys talking and they're like, don't worry about it, Alex. Donnie here's got a plan. So those are Primo and Donnie, right? I guess yeah. like, they've known each other since they were kids. So then, okay, this next page, there's the knife that's bloody. And then presumably the abusive dad is saying, I never saw it before. So did did the kids go out and do a murder and yes. frame the dad? Yes. That yeah. is what I implied from this, right? Uh, yes. That's what I was thinking, what, too. Like, what else? Like, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it is. The kids went out and did a murder. Like, who, who did they murder? There's no indication at all. It's just, like, that's that doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is they got rid of the dad. Right. Like, we don't even have to know who the murder was because if it doesn't matter to them, it doesn't matter to us either. It's not mm -hmm. part of their story. I don't know. I was blown away by these three pages. I just thought it was, like, just... It, it just can there's so much happening there there's so much that you can infer about their relationship we also realize that they've known each other since they were kids and like they did some pretty messed up stuff together like they've been doing serious crimes like nothing i mean since they pretty were little, their like, entire lives <laughs> was that the first time that they went out to that hill oh no i guess not right because they, the body had to be found by somebody right yeah uh, anyway that was nuts <laughs> back in real time primo just beat this dude to death right and now other people are knocking on the door so they don't know what to do i like how they just bust out of the window and escape <laughs> they break into a kia and donnie is like what the fuck happened back there primo's like i don't know he was all of a sudden he was he was what donnie asks you know what fuck that prick I like that he, he wants to say it, but then he realizes it'll sound stupid. He wants to say that guy was Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, because he has no explanation or he doesn't, he knows how crazy it will sound if he says it. There are also some incredible shots as Alex looks out the window, he sees the vulture again, but it's in like a hoodie, right? So he's seen people like that. But I love this yeah. version of it in the hoodie. It's definitely the coolest version of this in the book. Oh, yeah, I know. It's so badass. That'd be like a great Halloween costume. I was going to say, it reminds me of the Conchu and the Moon Knight. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it does kind of resemble that. We get this scene in the car that they've broken into as they're driving. Donnie calls Myrick. And so we get the conversation. He says, listen to me, it happened. There's nothing we can do about that. But it doesn't mean that we have to throw everything out the window. I guess he's referencing that that guy got killed, right? 
Let's be real here. We still control everything. Our connections, our crews, our fucking cops and politicians, all our operations. You kill us. You don't let us this small transgression. You don't get any of that. So what do you say? And then there's a pause. We cut over to Myrick. He's there with Lopez. She's watching him on the phone and he's like, maybe. <laughs> and then she's like, what? You're still doing the deal with them? And he's like, get out of here, Lopez. We're done. He just flakes out on her, essentially. Some of these characters kind of look, like you were saying earlier, kind of look like character actors. Right. This guy almost looks like uh, Tim Roth. Like, I could picture Tim Roth with a beard and a, and a man bun. Oh, yeah, totally. He would be great <laughs> oh, for this yeah. guy, right? He doesn't really look like him, but just something about his, I don't it, know, something. I even think, like, his talk cadence, the way that he talks, would go along with this guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I could imagine him talking like that. That's a good casting. See, you're a great fill-in for Danielle. You're even doing casting <laughs> corner and everything. <laughs> and so it seems like they catch the end of his conversation where Lopez is talking to him. So they're like, what the fuck did he say? We might be fucked. I don't know, Donnie says. Fucking war. It's been a while, Primo says. He makes a fist, right? But meanwhile, in the backseat, Alex is still freaking out. He sees the vulture out the window looking at him with those coin eyes. We get another flashback. So I thought this one was pretty brutal, too. Some of these flashbacks are just nuts. Um, so his dad's in prison now. Now we know that his dad's in prison. He got framed and all that. And he's talking to Alex on one of those prison phones between the glass wall. He says, you did good for yourself, Alex. I hear you're making a name for yourself out there. And you did all of it without my connections. You're doing your dad proud. I know it's you keeping me protected in here. You're doing it, right? And Alex says, the second you get out of here, you're a dead man. No one else gets to fucking do it. Only me. And then he just like puts the phone off the receiver. It's like he just dropped it and walks off. Yeah. And there's this shot of his dad just like looking up at him. Then we cut to Alex later. He's sitting in a bar and he gets a phone call that says... That his dad died of a heart attack. It's Primo calling him. He goes, fucking asshole. Couldn't even die right. (laughs) I like that. And then we get another shot of Alex and Primo. I guess they're working together to beat up some guy. Just some really cool imagery on here as we see like the progression of Alex and all this kind of stuff. But this this third section with the double page splash i thought this was incredible right oh yeah definitely on this double page splash we get like i don't even know how to describe this like his face is cut in half but in between the faces there are all these panels like depicting his memory or different parts of his life we see him getting married we see the skulls underground saying you're all heart alex that's what primo told him we see him watching as primo kills a guy we see him with watching his dad in prison and then there's some interesting details too here's a picture of the four of them and then and the next one garcia is scratched out you see that because i guess he was part of their crew the original crew or something Mm -hmm. like that and then one of the skeletons underground tells him but you're still the one who told Primo to fuck them up in the first place. And like, again, there's just so much storytelling in in that by itself, because you know that he's thinking, well, I'm not the one who beat, I'm not the one who actually killed them. Yeah. That's kind of how I took it. He's, he's like, he didn't get his hands dirty, but he's just as, you know, culpable as anyone else. Right. Yeah. I love all that. I, I love how it's depicted in this. It's just very dynamic, very artfully done. And then, so we get the two halves of the faces with all the memories, and then then a, a one full joined face of the vulture. This one panel, I mean, this one double page spread is just so awesome. Yeah, and I feel like um, if, if it was cinematic, you would kind of see it, and then you would cut to this like scary face like for a second, or his face would turn into that 
or something like that, right? All of a sudden, back in real time, Alex is in the backseat and he's like, my family, take me to my house now. And they're like, oh, well, that's where they're going to be looking for us. And he's like, for fuck's sakes, Donnie, it's my kids. It's Pat. We've got to get to them. So they race over there. Alex is running into the house. I love how nighttime is depicted on these pages. I think we talked about that a little bit with Mark when we were talking about salt magic. But I've been thinking about that a lot now, how night is depicted in comics. And uh, I thought this was really well done. Yeah, it's tricky. I've I've been (laughs) trying. Like, I'm going to. I'm literally coloring a page right now for what I'm working um, that I'm like trying to figure out how to do that same thing. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Everything purple, everything gray. It's how do you, how do you convey the information without just making everything look muddy? Right. Yeah. That's I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with like, Lawrence Campbell and other artists who kind of are able to use black the way that they do. I'm always afraid of using these heavy dark shadows, but then by the time I get to the coloring, it's like, Oh, (laughs) like the line art doesn't look (laughs) like night. Right. So then it's all in the colors, which versus here, the two things are working together. And just like you said, Ross, the shadows were so um, impressive to me. Like, the doors open so the light's coming in from outside and it's going up the stairs and the way that it's shining on the kids there's this one shot where he's like get your shit and go now and half of his face is blacked out and you can just see his eyes like that's really powerful and kind of scary and terrifying he just bursts in and he's like we got to get out of here and there she's like you're scaring everybody you know what i mean and like I think they do a good job of conveying that so the kids are like oh i need puppy and this and that you're scaring me And so at one point, the dad grabs the little boy and he's like, we don't have fucking time for this. And the kid falls backwards and he falls down the stairs. Uh, He has a bloody nose and he looks just like Alex in his flashbacks. Right. So, Uh you know, there's there's this like motif that he's repeating the same thing or, you know, the abuse cycle continues and stuff like that. But it's also like it's in the heat of the moment. Like, I don't really know if he's like an abusive dad. It doesn't seem like he was like beating him the way his dad beat him. But. The imagery is definitely similar. Yeah, definitely. The wife, she goes outside and she sees Donnie and he's like, here's some money. Just get out of here, Pat. Things are about to get a whole lot worse. We cut over to Lopez and she's just going, fuck Myrick. And she's drinking and driving. I do not recommend that. Please don't drink and drive. She looks in the rearview mirror. Oh, Johnny, I can hear you now. Lopez, hun, what are you doing? So she's looking in the rearview mirror, talking to herself, and she just misses a pedestrian and crashes into a pole. But that like the, that pedestrian doesn't just look like a pedestrian. It looks like a zombie almost. It's right. I thought that, yeah, that he was looks odd. Messed up. It could just be a dude who's you know not having the best best time right now. I've definitely seen some people like that hanging out in Portland, but it does feel a little supernatural with the rest of the book. Yes, and we don't really see like on the bottom shot on the reveal. It's gone. We don't really see that he's gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, that also like lends to that like is is she too drunk or is this part of the spookiness or whatever over with the trio again they call myrick they want to know his answer so they want to know if he's still going to do the deal with them at this point they've already canceled once and then they killed one of his guys so myrick says you know what donnie maybe you're right maybe your guys won't work for me unless you say so so maybe i'll just fucking kill them and so we see that 
he has his goons there. Like, I guess they went and rounded up their goons or their head guys or whatever. Their soldiers. That's a thing, right? In gangs. Yeah. And then he fucking kills all of them. I was pretty surprised by that, too. Like, again, like, you're just thrown into this and you don't really know the full story, but it's still impactful when it happens. Myrick tells them, deal's fucking dead, old man, and so are you. So we open issue four and we get one of these abstract paintings. Um, so I love this. The seller is explaining abstract expressionism to Donnie. The subconscious mind, surreal, childlike, random, indefinable shapes. And Donnie interrupts him. No, you're just not looking at it right. You can see patterns in there. Control in the chaos. So he buys the the painting. But it's also kind of setting up his character, right? He's supposed to be like the guy, the brains, right? The guy with the plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ever done any abstract expressionism, Ross? Not really. I didn't. I, I don't know. I wish I had had our teachers in high school who had pushed me in different directions. But no. Do you think um, um if you had to do like an abs, would like that I, be easy to do if you had to draw one like on the wall? And like, would that be easy to do or would that be hard? I guess it depends on how detailed it is. This is like a uh, Kandinsky. Oh, wait, not Kandinsky. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Jackson, Jackson Pollock. Pollock. Pollock, yeah. Um, and just like, th- like, par- I feel like this type of artwork, it's very physical in a way that I've never had like the space to do something like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's, that's how I picture it. You know, like it's this huge canvas and you've got a, it's like a big cartoony giant, like, like a brush that you'd paint a house with or something or furniture, yeah. you know? And you have to have all the paper down around it and yeah. stuff like that. So you could like go wild. Like, I don't think it would be the same if you're just sitting there at a, at a, at a table with the normal sure, sure, size yeah. setup. I just thought it was interesting that Lawrence Campbell had to draw that, right? Or Lee Lowridge had to color that. Like, how are you going to yeah, do that? I guess I'm, I'm guessing that uh, Lawrence Campbell did them. Pretty I'm cool. curious if he, he, like, if he did them separately. I mean, it looks like he had to have done it separately, and then they drop them in there. Okay, cool. Yeah, because like in the panel two and in the last panel, you can tell they're the same. Oh yeah, you're right. They are the same. Wow, that's wild. Good job there, Ross. I wonder if he's got that up on his for sale original art. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I'm mad. <laughs> In the present, Donnie tries to call one of their guys, but no one answers. Myrick killed all your guys, he exclaims. Our guys, Alex says from the back seat, and they drive on. Donnie says, he used to know what to do. The fuck happened to you, Donnie? Primo asks. You were always about the plan. Where'd you go? It's harder to think. It's harder than it used to be, Donnie says, staring out the window. And as he's staring out the window, um, he sees a silhouette. These two pages of them in the car, um, I love the colors on these city shots. And that glowy effect and all that, you kind of referenced that. You were talking about that earlier, Ross? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like, uh, I mean, it's so intense, it almost looks like a, a, a vehicle's coming towards them or something. But it's just the, whatever, the ghost the energy or yeah i almost didn't see yeah. it at first it's it's very subtle like i was like at f- the first time i i might have totally missed that silhouette donnie sees the silhouette and as we focus in on it it's the vulture watching him so he just gets out of the car and he starts walking towards it in the alley he runs after it and so he has this really trippy vision i thought this was super cool so he runs towards this uh skyscraper And he looks into the illuminated windows. We kind of talked about this on sort of Hyperborea, but 
Lawrence Campbell has a way where he makes skyscrapers look scary. He can make like a building look scary. So I feel like that really comes across here. He looks into one of the windows and he sees that vulture creature there, but it's like a humanoid version or it's almost like, I don't know how to describe this. Like it's got like a feathered body and these skeleton arms or something like that. And it raises its arms. And when it does, this huge like waterfall torrent of blood you know now that i look at it like it's coming from behind him you see that mm-hmm. it's kind of rolling in behind him and then as he raises raises his arms it like sweeps up and then crashes around him and then out the window and then this huge like blood waterfall starts pouring on donnie from the skyscraper just really nuts i re- thought this was wild um we even get this one last panel on the double page splash where it pulls all the way back to like overhead and you're just seeing all the red coming out of this one window flooding the whole city and everything man it's pretty fucking surreal to be honest with you and we see donnie getting drenched in the blood he looks down at all the drops and then he sees the painting so there's like a cool transition it transfers back to that abstract expressionist painting yeah these pages are great yeah just amazing i really love this uh this weird vision it's very creepy too it's very unsettling i that shot with the whole town flooding with blood and everything we cut to primo looking for donnie in the alleyway he ran into and donnie emerges he adjusts his glasses tell me everything about myrick's crew I know what I need to do. So like whatever that hat, whatever happened, like now he's back in the game or whatever. I thought that was interesting. Like the rest of them, it seems to have like a debilitating effect on them. But to him, it's like now I'm now I'm evil again or something. It's like now now he's focused on it. Yeah. So we cut to a club called Van Ronks. So uh, I thought this might be a reference to David Kenneth Ritz Van Ronk. He was an American folk singer an important figure in the American folk music revival. He was nicknamed the mayor of McDougal Street. He was known for performing instrumental ragtime guitar music, especially his transcription of St. Louis Tickle and Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag. I'm not familiar with those tunes, or maybe I am, but I just don't realize it. I'll put a clip of one of those songs um, here in the Maple Leaf Rag, the title sounds familiar. In a weird way, though, like Van Ronk, the first thing it made me think of was, what, what do you think? Did you think of anything when you saw that name? Ronk was the sound effect that they would give the frog monsters. Yeah, that's what I was going to say in BPM. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, I didn't even think of, about that. So I was like, Ronk, it made me, th- Lawrence Campbell has done BPRD, and it made me think of frog monsters. Anyway, that's where I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one who thought of frog monsters when I saw that name. Makes me know that I'm not crazy. <laughs> Just read too many comics. <laughs> so we cut to Primo, and they're taking out Myrick's guys now, right? And so we see Primo's like killing these guys and trying to find out where Myrick is. And then meanwhile, Donnie is keeping track of where he's going by putting pins on a map. He talks to Primo over the phone and tells him to keep going down the line. And we reveal that Donnie is in this like hideout area. Alex is there on a couch chilling out because he's probably like still out of it. And then we see the abstract expressionist painting is on the wall. And then on the opposite wall is the the map where he's putting the pins. But it's like there's a weird parallel, right? Like he's almost making his own expression. It's like it's weirdly 
Yeah, uh, it, it's like they're connecting, you know, the pins and the dots on the painting are connecting somehow. Exactly. I like that kind of uh, parallel. We cut over to Lopez again. She's drinking with a gun next to a car. Every time we cut to her, she's doing something just really bad. Just really bad for you. <laughs> Don't do stuff like that. And we reveal she's got Myrick in the trunk of the car. So she's kidnapped this dude. So remember when she was driving and she was like, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And so that's why she was telling herself that because she knew she was going to go kidnap this guy. Fucking Tim Roth or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she holds him at gunpoint. She tells him her partner disappeared while working their case. She needs to hear them say it. She needs to know where they buried her. She tells Myrick he's going to wear a wire and get it on tape for her. Why would I do that, Myrick says. I've been trying to do this as near as legal as I can, Myrick, Lopez says, pointing the rifle at him. But I'm getting really close to just shooting you in the face and finding another way to get them. This is the end. <laughs> I like that. Over in the hideout with Alex and Donnie, Alex is still acting weird. He says he keeps coming and going. He looks at the abstract painting and says... It just seems like a mess to him. It's only a mess if you don't see the connections, Donnie says. Uh, I love this bottom panel. So we actually see like three dots on the painting mm -hmm. and then we see the three dots on the map with the pins. When he says it's only a mess if you don't see the connections, it's kind of relating to the map and it's also relating to the art. I don't know. I just, ah, it's good writing. It's good art. Like it's all, it's everything that a comic should be all like, you know, the way that they're all playing off each other and using the medium to it's kind share of share these ideas it's kind of interesting because like i forget there's a name for it when, when you see patterns in something that's actually random so like like he he thinks he's all got it put together but does he like is there anything to put together is he just making patterns out of randomness sure you know? oh i, yeah, I, I think no, i know what you're talking point. about like i can't remember what it's called either but yeah, there's like a name for it where like, like if you're looking at textured paint on a wall and you start to see faces or something, um, something, I, yeah, there's a name for it where your, your brain, your brain wants to create patterns that aren't really there. Paradoilia? Maybe. T Paradoilia, for probably saying that completely wrong, is the yeah, tendency for perception to impose a meaningful interpretation on a nebulous stimulus. Usually yeah, that sounds right. one sees an object pattern or meaning where there is none and the example that they have on the wikipedia page is like like a wall socket that we look at and think it looks like a face right exactly yeah so um this next part i love this right so um we focus in on one of those dots on the expressionist painting and donnie reaches for that dot and he opens the painting like a door and goes inside of it and he's in this all white thing so again like what's happening that's all happening in his mind right or something like mm -hmm. that it's a way to express like what he's thinking or what he's thinking about he goes into this room we see like it, there's a vault with all these chains around it and stuff like that so it's like it's like something that he's i don't know you just get the sense to me like this is something he wants to keep hidden right this is something that he's hiding yeah, something, something like buried and locked away. On Seinfeld, when they would say, I'm going to put it in the vault, right? This is what the vault is, right? In your mind or whatever. I'm not saying anything. I'm putting it in the vault. I'm locking the vault. It's a vault. So we reveal that Donnie, he got caught with 10 kilos. So as a result of that, to not have to go to prison or get in trouble, he's actually, he's the rat. He's ratting out everybody else. Yeah. On the last panel, he says, 
the guys can't know though they can never know and he's watching himself say that and then when we cut over to real life he's looking at alex so i just love that you know he's seeing this scene in his head and he's saying the guys can never know while he's looking at one of the guys that's what's happening in real life so anyway he looks at the expressionist painting and he sees the vulture in all the squiggles and all of that. I like that little detail there too. I'm sorry, Alex, he says. But then, so was he going to tell him? What was he going to say? I'm not sure. I mean, he might have been about to tell him or he might have just been like, I don't know. He might have just stopped it. I'm sorry, Alex. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. He says, I'm sorry, Alex. But before he can finish, Primo comes in and tells them that Myrick wants to meet now. Donnie says they'll meet him at their place. Then we'll bury him like the rest. They head out to their car, getting ready to do this final murder. We see them driving off, and then we cut over to Lopez. She's ready with her loaded rifle. I like this. Uh, the creature is in the back. The vulture is behind yeah. her, like in the trees and stuff like that. Yeah, well, when I got to this point, I was like, what's going to happen? Like, I was like, it really ramped up for me, like... uh in terms of the suspense, like I was like, oh, now we're going to get the deal or whatever. Like, what the fuck? What, there's going to be the showdown now. Issue five, we open on roadkill and we see a real vulture there eating something. So I like this parallel too. Over with Lopez, she wires up Myrick. I like how she's uh, still drinking as she's doing all this. And Myrick's like, what the fuck are you doing? I don't want your drunk ass accidentally shooting me in the head. She says, if he doesn't want her to fire, get them talking about any FBI that they killed. He's like, how am I supposed to do that? And she goes, you'll work it out. I love the pacing here as they approach. Like, we see Lopez out there, and then we get a close-up on her eye. She reaches for the rifle, then she's looking through the scope. All of that is really nice. So I love this these kinds when they do these kinds of like anticlimactic things in gangster movies because right when they meet up with Myrick, they just shoot him immediately. I thought that was great. <laughs> they shot Tim like, Roth. Oh no. I like it because he's all like, you know, okay, I think it's time we bam should have taken the deal in the first place. It's it's so good. And Donnie says, Come on, one more grave to dig out here. And as he, he has his hand on the hatchback, he fucking gets his fingers shot off. So it's Lopez shooting out them. Throw down your guns, Lopez says as she approaches them. And they're like, well, shit. Looking good, Lopez. She goes, fuck you, primo. <laughs> so, um, but here he calls her Lopez. Mm -hmm. So earlier, I guess he was just fucking with her, right? Or that's just a way to fuck with her by calling her by the wrong name or something like that. I don't know if I should tell this story. I was I, I I was at a I was at an event. I was the only brown person there. There was a guy there and he kept calling me a different Hispanic last name. He first he called me Gomez. What was your name? Gomez. And then he was like, "What are you? Salas or something?" And every time and it was the like fuck? and I and I just felt like he was just he was just trying to dig at me like that. You know what I mean? And so uh -huh. I feel like that's a that's maybe what was happening here, right? I'm just going to fucking call you by another generic Spanish name yeah. just to fuck with you. You know what I mean? Was that a shitty story to tell? Should I have not said that? <laughs> I mean, no, I I, uh, I don't think you should cut it. People, <laughs> I think, I mean, maybe maybe cut this bit, but like as a white guy, like I've, I've appreciated as um, people have gotten more comfortable having these types of conversations, like friends that I had growing up would share stuff with me that they dealt with that I was so clueless about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like just the fact that that casual racism that, you know, for most of my childhood, I was I was clueless. Oh, yeah. Growing up. Yeah. You know, no. in, quote unquote, progressive liberal Seattle. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. So back with the story here. So um, the guys figure Myrick was wired, that Lopez wired him. But she just wants to know about her partner. Yeah, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, where they're like, is this what this has been all about? Right. The, the other FBI chick, yeah, she was caught up in the Garcia shit. Figured they was responsible for him, they should get one dead as well. And Lopez, still holding the rifle, says, Garcia wasn't an informant, you dumb fucking prick. The FBI never even got a guy in your crew. Jesus, I loved her. And you killed her over nothing, you fucking assholes. So then Primo's like, what the fuck is she talking about? Donnie had a guy who told us. Garcia was talking to the FBI, and then he hears Garcia again talk to him. Hey, Primo, you didn't really think I'd dime on you guys, did you? It was Donnie. He sold you out. But he had to put suspicion on someone else, just in case. And I was always more of a friend of yours than a friend of theirs. I love this because it's not really Garcia talking to him. He's putting the pieces together in his head. Yeah. He just sees it as this ghost or whatever. Like, it makes me wonder, like, is the ghost really there? Or, like, what is this? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, this is a ghost story. They're all having these visions. This creepy stuff is happening. This vulture creature. But it's like, is it really there? Or is it just their minds? Or they're putting it together? I don't know. You know? But, like, this this train of logic, it's like, it's not really Garcia. I could see him just putting it together based on this conversation he's having with the cop. Something I was reading in the, uh, in the, in the later in the sketchbook, and I was talking about how, like, uh, ghost air like can be not just like literal like ghosts that are haunting you like spirits but they're also your memories of the past of the things you've done and your and the bad things you've done haunt you for the rest of your life kind of thing right and so your yeah. ghosts are your own these are your own ghosts your own demons and things like that right yeah i love yeah. that very cool the interpretation ghosts aren't real but people really see ghosts perfect yeah i love that very good. Very succinct way of, of putting that together. I like that. So Primo's put it together that Donnie is the rat, and so he tackles the guy. You lying motherfucker, he says, and he starts beating the shit out of him. And so I love this progression, too, because we get this one large top panel where he's tackling him, and then the panels, as they go down, they get smaller and smaller, and then this bottom one is just red. You know, Donnie stops punching him, and he looks at the sky, and we reveal the fucking sky is all red now. Yeah. <laughs> this double page splash is so amazing, right? I mean, we get all the characters. We get these like little individual shots. And we also see the vulture. It's intercut with the vulture eating the roadkill. And then all the massive pile of bodies that are under the ground. Incredible. I, I loved, I absolutely was blown away by this image. It looks like they're all reacting to it. Like this is actually some sort of supernatural phenomena that's occurring exactly even even lopez every everyone is seeing it together yeah you kind of talked about it earlier ross was that thing that she almost hit was that a ghost too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. or something like that i like how she's affected she's part of this too her hands are no more clean than the others right primo distracted by the red sky looks up and he leaves himself open to getting hit with a rock by donnie Primo hears Garcia all creepy and undead with coins over his eyes. They treated you like their fucking attack dog, Primo. Then they took it all away without even asking. You're going to kill him clean like you did me? And so just as Primo's going to go after him, he gets shot by Donnie. He looks over at Alex and Alex struggles with his chest like he's having a heart attack. In Alex's mind's eye, the vulture approaches him. I love that as it like kind of like encroaches on his personal space. Kind of reminds yeah. me like of the in the Alien 3 or whatever, right? And then it turns into his dad with the coins over his eyes. 
kind of funny how it just slowly kind of comes into the panel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's telling his dad, I'm nothing like you. And he has the heart attack. And I like how that's depicted too, because we just see the body being thrown back, but we see like the, what is that called? Like the cardiogram or whatever, right? Like an EKG. There you go. Good job, Aubrey. And so he dies. And as he's dying, he's clutching his heart and he's like, not like him. I can't go like him. So his whole thing was that he didn't want to be like his dad. But some of the last things that happened were he pushed his son down the stairs and then he had a heart attack, just like his dad did. Actually, if you go back to that one page where it had his his face split in half and all the memories, there's one panel with his dad dying of the heart attack and it's almost exactly the same as this panel. Oh, cool. Lopez holds Donnie at gunpoint, the last surviving member. He tries to put the blame on Primo, but Lopez says, it was all of you. You killed my life. And she tells him to dig a grave. And so he starts doing that. And the sky is still red in all of this too, which I thought was really cool. It just adds this whole other imposing element to the book. Standing in the grave, Donnie tries to reason with Lopez, telling her they can make a deal. Her partner appears to her there. So now she's got a ghost appearing to her and it kind of puts her hand on the rifle, lowering it. And once she does that, the sky goes back to its nighttime colors. I've wasted enough of my life on you three. You can stay out here with your graves. Donnie tries to scramble out of the grave, but as he does, he falls backwards. He slips and he cracks his head on a rock. And we see blood coming out of his mouth at the same time. So that's never a good thing, right? When you hit that, you hit your head that hard. Right. He looks up and he sees the vulture. Talk about this. What would you guys think of this reveal? Fucking terrifying, to be honest with you. You know, he's just like staring up at it and there's a look of pure fear on his face it's just like (laughs) we've talked about this before the sense of scale that Mm -hmm. lawrence campbell is able to convey with a lot of his art and we've seen this a lot in the bprd comic as well where there's just these massive things and the the imposing nature of them the, the sense of scale that you get I think it's just really impressive. And like you said, Aubrey, just terrifying. This is like the final form of the vulture ghost thing or whatever. I love this. This last shot. So we get a great parallel with the opening of the page. We see the vulture and it has the nickel and dime with the crosses on it in its skeletal hand. And it goes to put them over the eyes, right? Well, we also see like as like he's yelling before that we see as he's yelling up at Lopez and we see her walking away from the grave point of view she's also dropping her flask so it's not only is she putting them behind her she's like she's gonna put that behind her as well oh i like that what a great little detail there good job there aubrey it like gives a little that's like that's the happy ending of this book is that one panel where she's throwing the flask right yeah Yeah. her her ghost was someone that she loved versus the rest of them was all people that they had wronged oh yeah I love yeah. that. Very good. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. notice dropping the flask, but I think that was definitely kind of the idea there is there there's there's some hope for her. Yeah. Yeah, and I I love this last shot. I feel like that's the the terrifying bit, right? Having the it's putting the coins over your eyes now from that same point of view that we saw earlier. So, I just love the parallel with those opening and closing shots. It's really nice. Wasn't it Donnie the one who put the coins in the eyes? I think so. Yeah. I yeah, think I've gone right. back and looked at this first page. I think it is Donnie. Yeah, he's got the glasses. Yeah. yeah. Very good. We have some uh we have some special features or whatever. They're letters from the writers of old haunts. Um, and so I did read some of this. Uh and like Aubrey said, you know, they, they talk about how um the ghosts are part of your guilt, right? Or 
um, this idea. What if what if the ghosts are there to remind you of all the terrible things you've done? We also get some nice character portraits of all the main characters. There's a great little story by Rob Williams about being scared of uh, from seeing Jacob's Ladder the first time in the theater. Did you have you ever seen that movie? That movie is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Good movie, though. I've not seen it. Is it like a UFO movie or something? No. no? I kind of don't want to... I mean, if you haven't seen it, I kind of don't want to spoil it, but it's just like... It's this guy, he's a Vietnam vet, and he's just seen weird things going on in his life. Jacob's Ladder is a is a biblical thing where he sees angels going up and down from heaven. Yeah. That's why I was it's, thinking maybe it was as UFOs or something. <laughs> it's also, uh, you know those like antennas with like the electricity going up them? That's mm-hmm. called a Jacob's Ladder. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but I think it's more like I think the title is definitely trying to invoke the biblical thing. But I, I mean, I don't want to say because I think the ending is just like, oh. Okay. Cool. So you would recommend it then? Fuck yes. You haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I will have to check that oh, out too. Oh man, I believe it's uh, I believe Tim Robbins is the star. I could be oh, wrong. Yeah, on that. yeah. They mentioned Tim Robbins. Uh, Rob Williams mentioned Tim Robbins, but he basically says like he was all freaked out in the movie, and then he saw this little girl in the aisle like giggling and that like creeped him out you know even more um and so he talked about that too i like how they kind of explain elements of stuff that scared them so do do either of you guys have a ghost story oh yeah i i I definitely have one um it's kind of weird i guess um it's kind of a whole thing anyway uh i'll try (laughs) to tell it as quickly as possible at my parents house um my parents house um it's a it's a two-story house and so basically my parents don't ever go upstairs so when me and my brothers lived there, we basically had all the upstairs and they had all the downstairs. And so we would always be upstairs. They would be downstairs. And a lot of times we would be literally doing nothing like me and my brother would both be on our respective beds watching TV. And my dad would be like, who the fuck is jumping up down there or whatever? Stop stomping around up there. And we're like, what? We're like, we're not doing anything. You know what I mean? So we always thought that that was weird and kind of frustrating too, because like my dad would be yelling at us for making noise when we're literally doing nothing. So that was always really odd. So then one day uh, we skipped school. Okay. And uh, I, I was in a garage band. So we, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we had a setup. We had a little setup in my room at my parents' house and everybody was at work. So, I went and uh, we skipped school. We went to my parents' house and we were doing our little band shit up in my room. And so we're playing. And so I I have a light switch in there and it's not a toggle switch. It was a button. So you had to push the button. And when you would push the button, it would click. And that's what would turn the light off and on. So we're, we're playing the music and whatever, being loud. And all of a sudden the light turns off. And we thought the electricity had gone out in the house. But everything was still working. And so I told one of my friends, can you check the light? And so he pushed the button and the light came back on. And we were like, that's weird. Because you, it, how did it turn off? So then we start doing our thing again. We're playing music or whatever. And then again, the light turns off. And then uh, I'm actually getting some chills as I'm telling this. So the light turns off and we all stop now because we're freaked out. This is the second time that it's happened. And then my door opens, and then my brother's door across the hall opens. And both of those doors open, like, opposite directions. Like, it couldn't be a gust of wind, because it would slam one door. You know what I mean? And we got really freaked out, right? So we went, we, we left and went back to school, 
Okay. <laughs> so, so one day I was telling this story. So now flashback, like maybe or flash forward, like 20 years, I'm telling this story to um, some family members and my brother is like, I thought that you were stealing my story. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, I have a story similar to that. And I'm like, what? And I go, tell me your story. And he goes, I used to be in marching band. And so he said, one night my parents went to go see one of the football games that we were playing at to see the marching band. And he was there at the house by himself with his friend uh, who played bass. And they started playing music. And he said the same thing happened to them. The lights turned out and they thought the electricity had gone out. And then they started playing again. And then the lights turned out again. And it freaked them out. And then they heard loud banging on the door. So they so they 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 got all quiet and they went and looked out the window and there were cop cars out there. And so my brother was like, we almost thought that it was like trying to warn us, like you're about to get in trouble. Be quiet or something like that, because he said the cops like banged on the door a little bit more and then they left. So I guess people had maybe complained about the music, but like, why did the lights turn out? He, so I thought it was weird that he had the same story. Okay. So then, uh, so then my brother told another story when he had my nephew and my nephew was little, my nephew would sit up that he was in that, he was upstairs, his crib was upstairs and he would sit up and talk to something because they had the baby monitor and there's nothing there. And they thought it was just like a creepy baby thing that babies do, but it also like makes you think, you know what I mean? Cause like he would sit up and talk to something that wasn't there. And so so my brothers and I have all moved out of the house. Um, my nephew lives there now, but before my nephew lived there, there was a good couple of years where nobody lived upstairs. And my parents said they would still hear people walking around up there. Like hmm. people were up there walking around, even though none of us live there anymore. So like, I don't know we think that there's a ghost in my, or something weird, like in my parents up in the upstairs at my parents' house, but it seems like whatever it is, is like benevolent or like, not like it's, it's like more like don't get in trouble or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I know that seems weird, but like, that's been our experience. And I thought it was interesting that across my family, we all have different stories about weird things happening upstairs or hearing sounds and whatnot. You know what I mean? So anyway, and then the fact that me and my brother had two stories that we didn't even know about that were almost exactly the same is weird too, you know? So I guess there could be a logical explanation for it, but anyway. Sure. But that's no fun. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? I've, I've got, this is like, you know, like a friend of a friend of a friend type of deal, but so I'm probably getting the details wrong, but the best of my recollection, um, Cause this is something my dad told me and he had been told by a coworker. So my dad had a coworker who had kind of called some of his buddies together into one of the meeting room. And he's like, I just, I have something that happened to me that I wanted to share with everyone. I just feel like I need to tell someone about it. Cause it, it was weird. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not religious or anything, but this is, this is what happened. So he was, I believe his nephew was, was sick. And so he was at the hospital and I, I guess he was at the hospital on his own. The, the parents had gone out to get some rest or something. And so he was there in the room and had fallen asleep where the kid was in the hospital bed. And, okay. and he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a nurse there who was kind of like, you know, just doing something like checking his breathing and um, was kind of 
like massaging his his chest and um he's you know it's like kind of out of it because he was asleep but he so um she she says like don't worry like he's gonna be fine um he's gonna be able to to get through this and and he's gonna um get better there one thing that he noticed is that the the nurse had those like wine stained birthmarks on her arms Mm. as like those red red birthmarks and which is a weird detail so the next day the the actual doctor calls the family together and says that probably their their child's not gonna make it and that they should say you know their goodbyes oh wow um and so the uncle is like the uncle who was my dad's coworker is like well the nurse said he's gonna be fine they're like what what nurse and so he describes her to them and they're like the doctor's like i don't there's nobody who works here who fits that description right and then at some point so at some point the kid ended up getting better and and was fine and they had the uncle was kind of weirded out by the whole thing and kept asking around and so one of the older you know another nurse or something heard him describing what had happened and and she had worked with that nurse years prior and that nurse with the birthmarks had passed away years ago right right and so she said that yeah this was an actual person who used to work here in the hospital so yeah, I don't have no idea if there's anything wow. to that Did she story. Die like, in the hospital? A... Did she die at that hospital or something? Or maybe I don't know. Who knows how ghosts work? That's nice. Yeah, the idea. I mean, he was kind of getting at that it was going to be like like kind of a like the ghost was like a guardian angel type of thing. But right, right. Yeah, that that always That's stuck cool. with me. My dad told me that like you know I was young, like in elementary school, but I've always remembered that story. Wow. What about you, Aubrey? You don't believe in ghosts, right? Or do you have any good ghost stories? No, I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> you have to go stay at my parents' house in the upstairs and see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Let us know what you think of ghost stories. And let us know what you thought of this comic. I thought it was really great. I loved um Again, so uh, in the sketchbook section here, we get all the different covers, too. But I kind of liked how they took the covers out, and it just, like, flowed so well. I wanted to include this. I know it's not exactly like a Halloween thing, but, like, I remember this book creeping me out the first time that I read it. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe there's a lot of people out there who haven't discovered this book yet. So I definitely want to bring it up, especially now that you can get the trade. I think if you have Comixology, it's free on there. So I hope you guys check it out and um, let us know what you thought. Excellent. Any other thoughts on old haunts from either of you guys? I very much enjoyed this comic. Like, I know you've been talking about it for a while and I've been wanting to read it. So getting a chance to actually sit down and read it, it was really fun. And like, um, like you know, we were already friends with Rob Williams and Lawrence Campbells. And this is the first time I'm discovering the other people who worked on this comic. But I love an old gangster story. I love the fact that these are like this weird, creepy ghost. You know, are they real or are they just their thoughts or, you know, what is it, you know, kind of thing. And it's just... You know, I mean, it was great. It was creepy. It was fun, you know, and it may not be like, I guess, Halloween-ish, but it's definitely scary-ish and, you know, I don't know, creepy and fun. I mean, you know, it was it was a great story. You know, I yeah, would like to see this. I would like to see this adapted into a movie, to be honest with you. I, I really would, too. I think it would work really, really well. I was just going to say, it's, it's a quick read, and I think that as we went back over it again, I had a better appreciation by how surreal and bizarre it actually is because i think i don't know i said it earlier the type of stuff i i like is is usually weird you know twin peaks kind of the hellboy universe like I, i'm drawn to stuff that kind of plays around in the cracks between genres and so like slowing down and actually taking it page by page is like oh this was like this was 
this was actually pretty bizarre. Some of the imagery and stuff, um, really, really good. I really liked what Lawrence Campbell did with some of the recurring motifs and things. Yeah. And, and, and I felt, I, I liked that it was so grounded too, you know, for a supernatural tale, you know, it's, it's, it's very grounded and I feel like, um, just, just realistic. And I liked that kind of element of, of the horror of uh, some of the other stuff that we've been looking at this month, um, our encounters with evil and Dracula and stuff like that. It's more of kind of like the out there horror. This is more like almost the psychological and then the, the artwork, uh, just goes so well with it. So yeah, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that our listeners did too. All right. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Old Haunts. That was a really fun story. Really creepy, really cool, and just beautiful to look at. And I want to hear what you thought of it. Send us a hey, you damn guys at bookclubmembercomics at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at bookclubmembercomics and on Twitter at bookclubmembers. And as always, you can find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gatahan for the theme music, uh, for the listener feedback theme thank you paul thank you ross for joining us this episode it was so fun to hear from you and i'm really excited about your kickstarter everybody get on that if you haven't already you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from and when you're there why don't you open it up and give us that five star review and if you're enjoying what you're hearing tell a friend everybody should join the book club yes do it next week it's a surprise i don't even know what it is so join us <laughs> <laughs> a surprise indeed you'll you'll know by the time we get there yeah i'll i'll, I'll announce it or put put something into this episode yes you guys know what to do join us next week on book club member comics thanks for listening everybody i have a top knot and i'm tim roth <laughs> i'm ross radke and i'm obviously love saying when you get into this you get in for life <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one aubrey hey you damn guys this is so weird. The episode ended, but the outro music didn't play, and I'm still talking. So, I have this birthday present for Aubrey. We're trying to surprise Aubrey with his birthday present. His birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks, and we kind of wanted to do something for him. Mark Tweedell, book club member, had this great idea to try and track down these Harrow County Library editions for Aubrey. And, you know, these books are out of print. But Mark being as amazing as he is, he was able to make it happen. I want to thank Mark so much. We couldn't have done this without him. I also want to thank Cullen Bunn because these are signed library editions. They're signed by Cullen Bunn. So thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much, Cullen Bunn, for making this happen. So anyway, uh, I'm really excited to give these to Aubrey. He didn't come over today to do the show. So I was trying to text with Mark and we're coming up with a new plan. And so the new plan is I'm going to see Aubrey again tomorrow at this mini-con. We did the Bedrock City mini-con a couple weeks back. We're going to do another one tomorrow. I wasn't actually going to take all the podcasting equipment up there because we're not really going to be able to record much. We're not going to have Danielle there. She has her own event going on at the same time. So it's just going to be me and Aubrey. We're mostly going to be manning the booth. But uh, I'm going to take all the equipment up there. I'm going to set up. And I'm going to try to capture this moment. I'm going to take the library editions up there. And yeah. So I'm really excited to do this tomorrow. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much, Cullen Bunn. And hopefully that is the clip that you're going to hear next. All right. Hey, Aubrey. So we haven't really had a chance to record today, but we've been, we're have been we back here. We're yeah. at the Bedrock City Con. Things are kind of wrapping up here. Um, we've had some get, We've had some sales. We made some friends. 
made some money. Yeah, <laughs> it's been good. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, you're just like interacting with people, and uh, it, it just seemed a little chiller than last time. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a lot windier. It is a lot windier. Um, yeah, so I guess we had like um, a little bit of a surprise. We had something that we were trying to like spring onto you. Because we're trying to surprise you because you have a birthday coming up, Aubrey. Yes, I do. Yeah, you do have a birthday. And so um, I've been, like, uh, talking with Mark Tweedell. And we were, you know, me and Mark and Danielle were trying to, like, come up with something cool to do for you for your birthday. So, anyway, I have a, I have a birthday present for you here. Oh, shit. Really? Wow. So, yeah, this is kind of weird. I, w- I wanted to do this on the show yesterday, but then you weren't able to come over. Oh. So. Anyway, so anyway, here is your birthday gift, Aubrey. Ooh. So this is from uh, me and Mark and Danielle. We all went in together to try to get you something really cool, something really nice. Nice. Awesome. <clears throat> Wait, what is this? This is... Oh, yeah. I guess I know what we're doing for the next week. Yeah. So... Oh, my um, God. What are you, what are you talking about? What, tell, describe to the listeners... They just gave me Harrow County Volume 2 Omnibus. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. I was just and thinking about this the other day. The front of it right here. That's signed. Oh, my God. These are signed by Cullen Bunn. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is super exciting. You even hear the crowd cheering. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank man. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Anyway, here's the other two. Oh, shit. Oh my god. Wait. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, this is so good. <laughs> awesome, oh. yeah, man. Sorry, so ripping glad. through stuff, guys. It's not very exciting <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, this is so amazing. Yeah. Also signed. Yes, these are also signed. Yeah, so. Hello. I really want to thank. Um, hey, how's it going, you guys? I really want to thank Mark Tweedo for helping us put this together because it wouldn't have been possible without Mark. And thank so, you, Mark. Mark will be joining us next week to talk about the second volume of Harrow County. Awesome. And now, Aubrey, you can tear through all of it and enjoy the Cullen Bun. Tyler Crook goodness. Oh my god, this is so exciting. Yeah. Anyway, I hate to bring you more stuff to take home with you, but... No, it's all good. So this is a little bit of an early birthday surprise. Man, I am super surprised. So anyway, that's why all the mystery was yesterday about what we were recording and whatnot. So, uh, so Mark will be joining us next week to talk about Harrow County. So Awesome. Anyway, uh, excellent. Man, I cannot wait. I'm so glad you liked your gift. What do you think? Fuck, man. I love Harrow County. I was just, I was literally thinking about this the other day, and I was just like, I'm going to have to go get these because I want to keep reading this, and it'd be great to get it back on the podcast. Yeah, and those are long out of print, so there's no oh. way to really get those volumes, especially volume two, I think, is like way, way out of print. So we were very lucky to be able to get those. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yes, and we'll probably talk about it more next week when we discuss Harrow County to wrap up our... Halloween goodness. And like John said, next week we're going to be reading Harrow County. We're joined by the wonderful Mark Tweedell. So you guys know what to do. Call out them trades, omnis, digitals, and join us next week on Book Club Member Comics. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, go Astros. (laughs) They're going right above our head. Yes.